Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you're here. We hope that you're encouraged by today's message from our lead pastor, Greg Fraser. Well, I want to talk to you today uh, about uh, fitness. We're going to talk about cross-training. And uh, I know you're saying, Pastor Greg, I don't know about that. And let's not talk about fitness. Well, it is the new year. We always talk about fitness. But this is spiritual fitness. Okay? So we're calling it cross-training. You know, we've been in uh, the book of Luke uh, since September. We're going to continue in the book of Luke just for this week. And next week, we're going to jump out of Luke after we hit... uh, the following week, we're going to go right to chapter 24, the end of the Gospel of Luke, and then we're going to jump into the book of Acts. Do you know that Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts? That nearly 25, more than 25% of the New Testament was written by one author, and that's Luke. And so, how many of you know it's kind of important that we listen to what a quarter of the New Testament really talks to us about? And the primary thing that we've, the thread that we feel is, and it's very, you can see it in in all the pages and all the texts, is the primary message that Luke brings and the book of Acts brings is really about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is the place where God rules. And because of that rulership, the kingdom manifests in different ways, and we see it in the life of Jesus Christ. We see it in the Old Testament storyline. We see this kingdom of God in the, in the early church and the, throughout the book of Acts. And really, there are seven marks of the kingdom. We talked about this on January 1st. In their book, Kingdom Ethics, David Gushu and Glenn Stassen talked about these seven marks of the kingdom. So deliverance and salvation is one of the marks. Peace, justice, healing, restoring and rebuilding of community, joy and experiencing of God's presence. The seven marks of the kingdom of God. And you can follow this thread throughout the entire Bible. It's an incredible narrative to see how God works. So wherever God rules and reigns, there you will see these marks of the kingdom of God. And we know that's true. We look at Jesus' life and ministry, how he set captives free, how he healed every sin, every sickness, uh, forgave every sin, every sickness. He healed every disease from paralysis, blindness, leprosy. He even raised people from the dead, amen, and restored the marginalized back into community. People who are separated from the community of faith, from the community of, of, of connecting to God and his presence, and his kingdom and his family. This is an incredible thing that Jesus demonstrated. He picked the marginalized people and he brought them back into the family of God. What an incredible story. We see this continued and lived out through the the New Testament narrative. The Apostle Paul in the book of of Acts, we see it through Peter in the book of Acts, going to the Gentiles. Paul goes to the Gentiles, and God is expanding his family. He's bringing people back into the covenant of faith. He's bringing people into this understanding that you can do life with God. Amen? And actually, it's a whole new way of living. This is what is presented. You are not alone. You can be connected to God and to His family. This is the invitation of the kingdom of God. And church, we've talked about this multiple times. Listen, the gospel is not just about the forgiveness of sins. 
the gospel is actually that the kingdom of God is open. That's what Jesus said in his first sermon, Mark 1.14, right? This is the good news. Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is open, is upon you. Come into the kingdom. And ultimately, God is saying, if you're in the kingdom and you're with the king, I want to see the manifestation of these things happening in your life, these seven marks of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus does all these incredible things. He demonstrates the kingdom. He preaches the kingdom. The central proclamation, church, the central proclamation of the New Testament is the kingdom of God. And so Jesus proclaims and he demonstrates the kingdom message, and then he sends out the 12 apostles, and he sends them out to go and do the same. In chapter 9, in chapter 10, he sends out 72 disciples to go and do the same, to model, to teach, to preach the kingdom, and then to demonstrate the kingdom of God. Listen to what it says in chapter 9 of Luke. And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. So they go out, these ordinary guys, these carpenters, these fishermen, these different guys, they go out, they begin to demonstrate the kingdom of God, share the message. God does miracles through them. They're so excited, they come back to Jesus and say, even the demons are listening to us. And I mean, it's just a party. They're all so excited. Great joy is overwhelming. And Jesus says, okay, guys, okay, if you want to follow me, there's a cost to following me, and you need to understand the cost. And this leads us into today. And you say, oh, great, Pastor Greg. I knew there had to be a catch. Well, follow me here. Just hang in there. Don't give up yet. Do not leave at the beginning of this message. It gets better. Hang on. This is Luke 9 again. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save us, save himself, and will save their life. So this life of following Jesus is a cross-training life. It's a life where we have to take up our cross and we have to follow in the footsteps of our master. And, and you know, he's saying this is going to be hard. I mean, think about it. He's telling people, if you're going to follow me, you have to die to the self-centered life. This is what he's asking and inviting people to do. Following Jesus in his kingdom, living as his disciple means I turn to a different center. And as we're going to discover today, What does that mean? You know, like, if you've signed on to follow Jesus, this is the life that you're following in. You know, one of the reasons that we have our cross designed as fractured pieces pulled together is really a picture of your life and my life. Each one of us are living the cruciformed life or 
that, that life of the cross and each of us coming together form the body of Christ. This is the message that Christ is calling the church to live out and to pray about and to understand. And what we're going to understand by the end of this message that's going to call us to a new level of consecration, a new level of commitment, is there's only one thing more costly than the price of discipleship. And it's the cost of non-discipleship. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, there is so much you want to unfold in the hearts and minds of your people today. I pray, God, for the power to comprehend, to know, to listen, to obey, to follow hard after you, Lord Jesus, to be filled with your Holy Spirit. God, there's good news in this message of the cross. And it's an incredible message. And I pray, Father, that we will hear from you today. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive and respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Okay, we're going to look at that central verse. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. We're going to look at the middle part before we look at the bookends. Now, the bookends are be my disciple and follow me. That's what we're going to frame this, but what's in the middle? The middle is the one that seems hard. We must deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. Well, that word deny is an interesting word. Some of your texts translate it as die, actually. Deny or die to self daily and take up your cross. That word means utterly disown, deny, depart, or separate yourself from. It means to turn away from the influence of a self-centered life to the influence of a God-centered life. It's really who's at the center. Who's driving the narrative of your life? And, and you need to understand that the call of Christ is to deny that influence and to follow the leadership of God or the leadership of the Holy Spirit instead. This is really what he's calling the church to. And the self-centered life, church, is re revealed in two primary ways. We all understand this, but maybe we don't frame it this way. The self-centered life is revealed in two primary ways. The first way it's revealed is a word called selfishness. So selfishness is seen in the believer today, listen carefully, by people believing they are free to do whatever they like once they are saved. That's where we see selfishness in the church today. In the church, we have this narrative, this thought, this understanding that, you know, oh, I'm saved now. I can do whatever else I want to do because Jesus has set me free. It is for freedom that Christ has set me free. Therefore, I get to do whatever I want. How many of you know that's crazy? Anybody understand that? Because we understand that if we take that to the nth degree, if I use my freedom to enslave myself, how many of you know I'm in a worse state than I was before I began? And so ultimately, that can't be what Jesus is talking about. And the problem is, we talked about, I talked about this on, on, uh, on New Year's Day. Um, we reduce our salvation to an event. Now, and we, and we say, well, I, I got saved, therefore now I'm free to do whatever I want. But we need to understand that salvation is an ongoing process. Now, don't get me wrong. I was talking with one of our young adults, William, and he was quite concerned. He said, well, salvation is an event. I said, William, you're right. Salvation is a real event. It's an event where I've made a commitment to Jesus Christ, where I've been translated from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son of God, that he, the one whom God loves. And, 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 and truly, there's an event. There's a moment. I got saved on January 10th, 1988. 
It was an event. Do you understand? I had a moment where I said yes to the Lord. But what I needed to grain again and grow and understand is the moment I came into salvation, then God said, okay, now we're going to continue that work of salvation. You were saved, Greg. You are saved in this moment and you're being saved. It's in the continual present tense. That's why the word we talk about, one of the marks of the kingdom is salvation or deliverance. God is the minute I'm born again, the minute I'm saved, God is continuing the work of deliverance in Greg Fraser. He's not done. Amen? And my wife says, amen, yes. He's not done with me yet, baby. Hang in there. You, know, you understand, right? We, we get it. We, we're, we're still on this journey toward wholeness. This is the pathway of the believer. What a beautiful, incredible thing that God's not done working on my life. And I, I love this. I love it. I love it. Now, here's the thing. I love this quote by Bobby Harrington. He's an author, a pastor, a founder of discipleship.org. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. See, we're saved for a purpose. Do you understand? We're saved for a purpose, and that purpose is that I become more Christ-like. This is the intent of God, so that through Greg Fraser, it's as if Jesus is living his life through Greg Fraser, and as a pastor in, in Sturgeon County, Alberta, Christ is magnified, Christ is exalted, and Christ is speaking through me right now. That's his heart, and that's true of a plumber. It's true of, of a mechanic. It's true of a business person. It doesn't matter where you are, amen? Christ wants to live his life through you and manifest the kingdom of God through you. What an incredible purpose Greg Fraser is called to, and you are called to, amen? I love it. I love this incredible truth. When we're saved, we enter into this great exchange, church. We take our, Christ takes our position, our judgment for our sins, our separation from God on the cross, and we take His place in relationship with God. Wow. We are not saved to be selfish and do whatever we want. We are saved to live with Him, to become like Him, and to represent His kingdom in and through our lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love that incredible thought, incredible truth. So here I am. Greg Fraser is not saved in order to stay selfish. Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? So the first thing that I need to understand, uh, I'm not, I can't just be selfish and keep being self-centered. I still haven't told you how to get rid of the self-centered life, though. That's coming. That's why you can't leave. So hang in there. So, so God's saying, don't be selfish. You're not saved to be selfish. But there's another form of self that's as powerful, probably more powerful in the church that we need to understand that somehow we have to overcome to deny self, to die to self. I'm dying to selfishness. But then I also die to another thing called self-righteousness. That's another form of self. Amen. So here's Greg Fraser. You know, it makes sense. Uh, if I, Greg Fraser, the wages of sin is death. We all know that. So if Greg Fraser continues to live selfishly, he is going to sow seeds of death, which are not good. I don't want to die. I want to live. Amen. I want to have life and life abundant. I don't want to be, I don't want to fragment or, or, or take away from the life that God has for me. So then I say to myself, because I know I've done this, I became a born again believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and I saw that text, take up your cross daily, deny self, take up your cross, follow me. So you know what I did? 
I tried my head off to please God. I said, I will die to selfishness and I will pursue God. And guess what happened? It didn't work. The harder I tried, the worse I got. <laughs> it was like this like, a, attack, this, this, this center. Whenever I made myself the center and the power of, of deliverance, the power of salvation came from me, something went wrong. Now, I didn't see it that way at first, but let me define what self-righteousness is. Self-righteousness is the attempt of the believer to live a moral and God-pleasing kingdom life in the strength of self, not relying on God's help and grace. Wow. So the Bible warns that humanity has sinned and fallen short of reaching the glory of God. Amen? So Greg Fraser doesn't want to be selfish, so then he starts to pursue God, but he finds himself bound by this thing called self-righteousness. And if you think I'm just making this up, the Apostle Paul tells us a guy who tried his whole life. He's like, I have tried the best religious system there is, you guys. I mean, can you imagine being a… Paul said these words, as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. How many of you could stand up and say, try to find sin in me? And then Paul says these words, the Greek's a little more powerful than the English, I consider it poop compared to knowing Jesus. That was the polite church word. Think on these things. The Lord will give you wisdom in the discernment. Amen? Can you imagine a preacher standing up and saying that? I, as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was of, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth. I mean, I'm the man. I'm Look at what I've done. And he's like, I consider all that dung compared to knowing Jesus Christ and to be found in Him with a righteousness that is not my own, but that comes by faith. As a matter of fact, in chapter 7 of Romans, Paul lays out this incredible text, and you can read it yourself. Chapter 7, he talks about trying to be righteous, self-righteous in his own strength, and he uses the personal pronoun 25 times in 11 verses. And he says things like, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And he's talking about I, 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 self-centered, self-focused. He's trying his head off to reach God, to please God. And then he finally comes to the end of himself. And he says these words, what a wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this body that is enslaved or subject to death? Thanks be to God, he says, who delivers me through Christ Jesus, my Lord. Amen. And so, in order for the believer to live this moral life, there has to come a new power and a new partnership, which is seen in the indwelling Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. So, he's talking to us and he's saying, deny yourself, Greg. Deny your selfishness. Deny your self-righteousness. And the only way to do that, church, is to come into a partnership with Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ. I don't try to change those things. I bring them to the cross and I lay them there. And I say, God, help me now. I need a new power operation because Greg Fraser can't live this life. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. So Jesus says to us, where does that new power come from? And that's the bookends of our text. <laughs> Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. Did you catch the daily word there? Oh, my goodness. It's not a one-time thing and follow me. 
Be my disciple and follow me. Be my disciple and follow me. Now, the word disciple in the Greek doesn't really matter what the word is, but this is what it means. It means to be a learner, a student, or a follower. It's akin to an apprenticeship model, okay? The student is learning from the master. How many have ever done an apprenticeship before? It doesn't matter if you haven't, but you kind of have in life. Most of you go to work and you, you, I always tell people you're promoted into incompetency. Whenever you take a new job, you're probably incompetent until you grow into that and you're apprenticed in what it means to live that out. Amen? And so if you've ever been apprenticed, you know, the thing about this, this is what's so true. Guys, it's way, 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 way easier to learn carpentry by hanging out with a master carpenter than it is to read a book on carpentry. So much of the church has gone to the information rather than the transformation through the presence and the power of God. We think that if we just give people more information, they will be changed. No, 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 no. You are called to be a disciple, to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ. This is the call of the church. This is the invitation of God. We need to understand that. And so this, this idea of proximity is critical. You see, if, I love this definition. It says the disciple is someone who follows Jesus, and through the New Testament you will find the word Christian used only three times. You will find the word disciple used 296 times. <laughs> Okay, ready for this? Too many believers want to be Christians without being disciples. Whoo! Just let that, let that, let that weight hit you a little bit. And as a matter of fact, the three times that they're called Christians, it's in the context of being disciples. So you can't, even, <laughs> you can't even pull on those three things. The call of God, he's saying, guys, you're excited about bringing the kingdom. You're excited about seeing the kingdom life. But if you want to really see that, you need to be my disciples. You need to die to self daily. You need to take up your cross and you need to follow me. And so he sets that out. It's critical to understand that this idea of proximity to the person of Christ we need to be followed, following him and connected to him. So I, one of the things I did, I just took a course on ethics, and it talked about those seven measures of the kingdom of God, and I, I kind of rewrote something, not really rewrote, but repositioned some thinking, because I think it's essential. And there's a picture that we talked about in, at, uh, let's bring that picture up of, there it is. There's the seven aspects of the kingdom. But guys, I want you to keep that picture on for a minute. I believe the centerpiece is the presence and person and the power of God. All other aspects of the kingdom life flow around that. It's not one of the seven. It's the hub of all seven. Does that make sense? 
And so you guys as disciples, Christ takes the center place. And once Christ takes the center place, then Greg Fraser begins to operate in salvation and deliverance in and through him and and through his life. Healing begins to happen in and through him. Peace begins to happen. Joy begins to happen. The kingdom of God, the community of God begins to be built. All of this revolves around my place in Christ. Amen? This is the heart of following Jesus and taking up our cross. It's now a Christocentric life. It's not a Greg Fraser-centered story. One of the problems in our world today is we're trying to elevate everybody. Oh, it's your story. It's your life. You're the center of your own story. Great. But unfortunately, it's not going to help you to be delivered from yourself. There has to come a power greater than you and outside of you to help you to live the true story that God has called you to. Amen? So how do I connect with and live with the person of Christ? Theologian Dallas Willard, one of my heroes, we're coming dressed tonight as heroes and saints. I'm going to come dressed as Dallas Willard. I'm just going to let you know that right now, and uh, you'll see what he looks like tonight. He was a great guy. C.S. Lewis, very similar looking. Uh, here's this, here's this, I love this quote. Listen to this. We need to emphasize that the great omission from the great commission is not obedience to Christ, but discipleship, apprenticeship to Him. Through discipleship, obedience will take care of itself, and we will also escape the snares of judgmentalism and legalism. Amen? You see, here's the question. What's the focus of your life? So when Greg Fraser got saved, he so desperately wanted to please God, he began to fixate and focus on dying to self. Anybody else ever done this? So I tried my head off. I tried, I tried, and I tried. If I just work harder, then God will be happy with me. But it doesn't work that way, church. What's the focus of your life? Pastor Peter and I were talking about this. Occupation becomes preoccupation. We talked about with this Jocelyn the other day. Occupation becomes preoccupation. What you're thinking about and what you're focusing on forms you. Amen? What are you thinking about? What are you focusing on? If you're focusing on selfish, self-righteous thoughts, you are just strengthening that part of your life. But if you're focusing on Christ, what does the Bible tell us to do? Where does the Bible tell us to fix our eyes? Fix your eyes on yourself and you will be set free. It doesn't say that. Don't flip through your Bible. It's not anywhere in there. Okay? That's the perverse standard version. It's not it. Okay? Fix your eyes on Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. What you're looking at, you are becoming. Amen? Listen to Colossians 3 verse 2. This is from the message. You can read from verse 1 all the way to verse 17. It talks about this cross-shaped life. It's an incredible chapter of Scripture. But let me read a portion to you. It says, So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. 
Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along eyes to the ground, absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what's going on and around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from His perspective. Amen? Amen? <laughs> Amy? Not Amy. Amen. <laughs> hey, Jesus. <laughs> what did Jesus say? Abide in me, right? And you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, right? No, can you do things apart from Jesus? Absolutely, but you're going to do things that are selfish or self-righteous, which is not producing the life of the kingdom in you. Amen? And so there's a new way that you and I can live. Hallelujah. I got to move along. Here we go. See, focusing on self, trying to fix self, is not focusing on Christ. And God is wanting to continue to work out my salvation. This is why I fix my eyes on Jesus, church. See, when I'm with Jesus, this is a beautiful thought. The king and the kingdom are the same. So wherever the king is, his kingdom manifests. Amen? So if I spend time with the king, I'm abiding in deliverance. I'm abiding in healing. I'm abiding in joy. I'm abiding in peace. I'm abiding in the community of fellowship of the saints. I'm abiding in healing. I have one job. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things then will be added to you. Amen? Okay. So here's what we need to land our ship on. When our lives are, are centered on God, everything becomes new. Here's the first thing that's new. You are now a new person. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Amen? You're new. You know, R.W. Stott and so many scholars talk about this phrase, in Christ, in Christ. The Apostle Paul used the phrase, in Christ, over 160 times. Over 160 times in his writings, he talked about being in Christ. And this idea of that I'm in, in connected to Jesus is not talking about a tool in a toolbox. It's talking about a limb attached to a body. It's talking about a branch attached to a tree. There's an abiding relationship. That's what it means to be in Christ. And I love it. And R.W. Stott says, this is one of the greatest and the only marks of authentic believers is that they are united to and in Christ. You're in Christ. You're a new creature, church. You're a new creation. The old is gone. Stop looking at your selfishness and your self-righteousness. Amen? I love this thought. His story makes your story history. I know that's a really good play on words, Pastor Greg. Did you come out? Yeah, it's good, isn't it? His story, which is spells history, if you put it together. His story makes your story history. I can, oh, it's good. You can pencil that. It's not good. Hallelujah. <laughs> Everything's, you know, there's nothing original in the kingdom. It all comes from him. Romans 8, 12 and 14 says this about your selfish, self-centered life. 
You don't owe that old do-it-yourself life a red cent. There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's Spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. Amen? We're, we're, not, to be, we're, not, we're not living a timid, grave-tending life, church. Oh, woe is me. Look at how selfish I am. Look at how self-righteous I am. I got to work on changing me. It's not going to work. Stop it. Stop it. The focus on yourself is not going to bring deliverance, but the focus on Christ brings life and life abundant. Amen? We've got to be like the Apostle Paul. Who will rescue me from this body of selfishness and self-righteousness? Praise be to God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my only hope, church. So we've got a new person. You're a new person. Well, you've got a new partnership. Remember, perfection is not the goal. Seeing the person of Christ is the goal. You've got a new partnership, church. We need to see Christ. We need to enter into this partnership with Him. I'm going to read another portion of Scripture. You can look it up yourself. Galatians chapter 2, 19 to 21. The Message Bible explains it well, so I'm going to read it. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping the rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with Him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Amen? Church, listen. Because I'm in a new partnership, I'm a new creation in a new partnership, I no longer am subject to condemnation for where I fall short. It's the exchange, right? What does Romans 8.1 say? There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, if there's no condemnation for where I fall short, then there's no pride to where I measure up. I have to lay both of those things down. Amen? Okay, okay, we're moving on. Here we go. Here's the last thing. Band can come back now. Here we go. Whoo! Okay, you got a new, you got a new, new, a new creation. You got a new partnership. And here's the last thing you need to understand: the thing we're going to land on, the thing we're going to leave on. You have a new power. <laughs> Hallelujah. Romans eight one and two. Let me read it again from the message. It's a different verse. With the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, the faithful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of the life of Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a lifetime of fated, brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. Did you catch that? There's a new power. There's a new power. Greg Fraser's power is not enough to be righteous. Greg Fraser's power is not enough to deliver him from his selfish, self-centered nature. Only the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what Jesus said? He said, don't be afraid, little flock. 
For your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Me? You gave me the kingdom? You gave me the kingdom? You gave me the keys to peace? You gave me the keys to joy? And you gave me the keys to the building the community of the king? You gave me the keys to healing God? You gave me the keys to, to, to the power and the presence of Jesus Christ? Wow, it's a gift. It cannot be earned. You don't deserve it, but it's yours. This is the message that you and I have understood. And it's why we can say, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You see, beautiful ones, I told you at the beginning of this message, the only thing more costly than discipleship is the cost of non-discipleship. See, the cost of non-discipleship is losing your peace, losing your joy, losing your purpose. Amen? It's way too costly. But Christ has given you a kingdom, church. Hallelujah. Thanks for joining us. For more of our messages and information on our ministries, you can visit tfhchurch.ca. Have a great week.